Good evening to everyone. It is good to see all that are able to be with us for this midweek service. We're glad to see those who have been traveling able to be back with us. Of course, as Garrett mentioned, there's others that are away, and we keep them in our prayers. Um, one that I forgot to, to mention and to include in the email, so I apologize about that, but uh, Garrett mentioned our shut-ins. And please especially remember uh, Brother Willard Clark. I was told this past weekend... I believe he's back, but uh, I believe he had had to go to the hospital for a while. So please remember Brother Willard in your prayers especially. Uh, This evening, we're going to consider a little bit from the book of Hebrews. We've been talking about Hebrews on Sunday nights. You can kind of consider this maybe a a supplement. This is not really a part of the Hebrew series. We're not going to uh, study a specific passage at length in the book of Hebrews, but there was in David's sermon that he gave Sunday night, and by the way, David did a great job on his passages, so I'm not reteaching what David did, I'm not correcting anything David did, but there's a lot in the book of Hebrews, and there were some things that as he went through that study, I, I, I thought of that I thought this would be a good thing to talk about, but we can't talk about everything as we give these sermons. And um, even as we've gone through and studied the book of Hebrews as teachers and then gone through and studied it individually to teach and listen to sermons, there's still more that that comes out. And that's kind of what happened Sunday night uh, as David was talking. And so I wanted to talk about this subject from the book of Hebrews that is not really one of the main ideas, but it is kind of an undercurrent, you might say, something that is there that's alluded to that's also taught in other places at greater length in the scriptures. And this has to do with this concept of priesthood. If you remember when we started chapter 5, really at the very end of chapter 4, we started transitioning into the Hebrew author's argument about the priesthood of Jesus. And that was a lengthy argument. Really, that went all the way through chapter 7 and kind of bled into chapters 8 and 9 with the idea of the better covenant and the better promises. And then chapter 9 picks up the idea of priesthood yet again. And so we have this concept of priesthood that makes up a large chunk of the book of Hebrews. Now the main argument that is made throughout this section is demonstrating that Jesus is a superior high priest and that he is a greater priest. But there's another theme that kind of surfaces in there. But before we get to that, I want to just remind us what Hebrews 5 taught us. Remember what priests do. We won't go back and read all that, but in those first few verses of chapter 5, when the writer or the speaker gives us the duty of priests, what high priests particularly do is they are appointed by God. They are to be men that were appointed or chosen by God. They were to act on behalf of men in relation to God. So they were to be individuals that worked and labor to help men with their relationship to God. You might think of a priest in a way as kind of a bridge, someone that helps bridge the gap between God and humanity. They were to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. And the Hebrew writer talks about that quite a bit. He talks about the tabernacle and the out, uh, the plan of that system and the sacrifices that were made. And the Hebrew Christians, those who had come from Jewish background, they would have known a lot about that. That was a big part of the old law was this sacrificial system. And then they also were to help the ignorant and the wayward. And so those were the responsibilities of the priest. Now, as he introduces and reminds the people what the high priest did, and while that was the high priest, clearly the other priests that serve under the high priest helped in those aspects to some degree or another, then he demonstrates that Jesus is the greater high priest. 
And so from chapters 5 through chapter 9, we see several things. We've already seen Jesus' superior nature in other realms in the first four chapters. But then we see Jesus is a better high priest. And because Jesus is a better high priest, he also offers a better sacrifice. Because the sacrifice that Jesus offers is not the blood of bulls or goats or rams, but it was his own perfect blood. And so he is both priest and sacrifice. He's able to go not into a tent, not into a temple, but he went into the actual holy place. That is the actual presence of God. He was able to pass behind the real curtain to be able to offer this sacrifice of his own blood that was able to wash the sins of man away. And so he's a better sacrifice. Now clearly this is all has to do with a new covenant because Jesus couldn't be a priest under the old covenant. And so the fact that he is a priest and the fact that he has a better sacrifice also shows, and we have arguments in Hebrews, that he has brought about, he's the mediator of a better covenant. And that's built on better promises. That was a big part of chapter 8. And so this priesthood of Jesus has so many ramifications. And the main thrust of the argument here, of the discussion, is Jesus' superior nature. Don't go back to the old Mosaic system when Jesus is superior. Or don't go back to worldly living when Jesus is superior. So the superiority of Jesus' nature is the key idea. But as we learn about the superior nature of what Jesus has done, we also learn about what he has done for us and why that is important. And so we learn that we have forgiveness. The blood of bulls and goats could not wash away sins. We have forgiveness. We can be fully and completely forgiven. Also, we have eternal life. It's only because of Jesus that we can be forgiven, and thus we can be made right with God, and thus we can have eternal life. But then at the end of um, what David talked about Sunday night, at verse 14 is where he ended. Notice what he says there. Let's go ahead and read verse 13 and 14. He says, For if the blood of goats and bulls and sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Now in that context, in chapter 9, and this has been talked about basically a few times from chapter 5 through chapter 9, Remember what happened on the Day of Atonement. That's the day that the Hebrew writer really has in mind when that high priest went into the most holy place. Remember, he would stop at the altar, and and all of this, the, the door was to face to the east, and so he kind of traveled from east to west, and first he would stop at the altar of sacrifice that was outside the door of the tent, and he would there make an animal sacrifice. And he had to make a sacrifice for himself, And he had to make a sacrifice for the people. And then that sacrifice would allow him to then go into the holy place, the first section that Hebrews 9 talks about. And he would pass by that table of showbread and the golden lampstand, and he would come to the altar of incense, and there he would take some of that incense, and it would be burning, and he would be covered with smoke. And then he would get to go into the most holy place, into what was the presence of God, where God's presence originally would dwell between the cherubim over the Ark of the Covenant. Now, notice what was said. We've already read that the blood of bulls and goats cannot forgive sins. But in verse 13, it seems like the blood of bulls and goats is effective for something. 
It says, The blood of bulls and goats and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of flesh. What's that talking about? I thought that the Hebrew writer said the blood of bulls and goats could not save. Well, it's not speaking about salvation there. He's speaking about that Old Testament system and that God allowed that blood of the bulls and the goats and that sacrifice allowed that high priest for that moment, for that time, to go into the presence of God to fulfill his priestly duties. And so what he says here, and it's easy to kind of overlook because it's not necessarily the main argument, is he says if the blood of bulls and goats was able to satisfy the requirements for this high priest to go into the presence of God, how much greater is the blood of Jesus to enable us to do what? Not just be forgiven, but what's said there at the end of verse 14? To serve the living God. Now what is assumed there, what's kind of underlined here that is talked about in other parts of Scripture, is in context who is doing the serving? The priest. But under the covenant of Jesus, who serves as priests? Jesus is the high priest, but who else serves as priests? Not one tribe, not one group of people, not the Levites, every single Christian. Every one of us have been called to be priests to our God. And that's something that, again, the Hebrew writer is not, that's not his main point, but he does allude to it, and it's built in other places. But this idea of serving is all throughout chapter 9. Back, back in um, verse 1, it talks about even the first covenant had regulation for worship. Now this is a whole other study in and of itself <coughs> um, that would be interesting. It's one I want to do sometime. But there's two, key, there's two main words for worship in the New Testament. Uh, one is proskuneo. Uh, that has to do with paying homage. That's, an, uh, that's typically translated worship. And the other one is latruo, uh, or its verb, or its noun and verb. And in chapter 9, that second one, latruo, is found four times. And that word is sometimes translated as worship, there in ch chapter 9, verse 1. Sometimes it will be translated as service. Or, for example, down in, chapter, in verse 6, it says, These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. That word duties there in the English Standard Version, that is the same Greek word, uh, latreo. It's also found down in verse 9. Um, according to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, that, I, that word worshiper. And so those three verses all have the same word that then show up in verse 9, um, to serve the living God. That's that same word that sometimes can mean worship, sometimes it means serve. When it is used in serve, it typically means to serve in a religious sense, to serve as religious rites in a religion. And so four times in Hebrews 9, we have this concept of serving, of worship, and we have been enabled to a better degree, a higher degree, than at any point in the scheme of redemption, at any point in history before the cross, to serve God. And so the question for tonight, the simple question is, are we fulfilling our role? Now, if that seems strange, the idea of being priest. Now, one of the things that the book of Hebrews, studying through it, has reminded me of is we have not talked a lot about priesthood. 
We've not talked a lot about Jesus' priesthood. We talk about Jesus' kingship as we should. We talk about Jesus' savior as we should. But we don't talk about Jesus' priesthood very often. And the same is true for us. We don't always talk about, or we don't talk a lot about our priesthood. But not only does Hebrews allude to this, there's some other passages that talk about this at length. For example, turn over if you want to follow along in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to go ahead and read the first nine verses of 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter says this, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, listen to this, a living stone... (coughs) Rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame." So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And just another verse that we won't spend too much time on, but in Revelation 1, verses 5 and 6, we're told that Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Those are two passages there that state specifically the priesthood of the believers. Not of preachers, not of elders, not of a certain class of people, but of every citizen in the kingdom. We are a special kingdom because we are a kingdom of priests. And I want us to think about that just for a few minutes here and think back to those roles, that work that a priest does. What does a priest do? Well, first of all, a priest must be appointed by God. Well, notice what Peter said multiple times. He says, we are chosen. I don't think Peter is saying this is not that concept of predestination that is so frequently taught in the religious world that we have been specifically chosen for salvation. But what this is teaching is that God has chosen that those who believe in Him, those that will obey Him, those that are washed by the blood of His Son, He has chosen and designated and sanctified them to be His priests, to be His representatives, to work as that second concept on behalf of men in relation to God. When you become a Christian, you become appointed to work for God and work for His kingdom. So often we focus on salvation in a, you might almost call it a selfish sense. We're so focused on having our sins forgiven We're so focused on getting our eternal reward. We're so focused on not being punished. Those are all good things. Those are all things that should motivate us. But do we stop and consider that when we become a Christian, along with all of those gifts that God has given us, He has given us and appointed us 
to a work, to be priests in His Son's royal kingdom. What about that concept of a priest to offer sacrifices? Now, as Hebrews makes clear, we no longer need to make sin sacrifices because Jesus' sacrifice was one that, uh, a one sacrifice that for all time was sufficient. There is no more need. There is no other sacrifice that could be made more effective at securing redemption than Jesus' sacrifice. So we don't make sacrifices in that sense. We no longer need to offer burnt offerings, and we no longer need to slaughter bulls and goats and rams and sheep and offer them up as burnt offerings to the God, to, to God. But we do make sacrifices. You know, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, we are told that our lives should be a living sacrifice. Just a little bit later in the book of Hebrews, even uh, Hebrews chapter 13, it speaks of offering the, the, uh, pray, the sacrifice of praise. Sacrifice and worship go hand in hand. And while we don't offer sin sacrifices, we do offer the sacrifices of thanksgiving, the sacrifices of praise, the, fr- the sacrifices of praising God with the fruit of our lips. Remember what Peter said, that we are His possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Never underestimate how important and powerful it is to simply tell of the greatness of God. To simply praise God for what He has done and who He is. Sometimes um, we want to be so practical, so applicable. Back this last weekend when I had that meeting, I gave a lesson that I've, I've started giving more, that, uh, my lesson on Psalm 8. And I've kind of struggled with that lesson because it's not a very practical lesson. I don't have a lot of things in that lesson about what you should take home and what you should do and how you should apply this. And as I was teaching, um, I made that comment. I said, I said I, I, there's not going to be 12 steps to take home with you tonight. There's not going to be take this home. And so I kind of struggled, and I made that comment a time or two. And uh, George Batty was there that night, and uh, he came up to me, and he said, don't ever apologize about just praising God about just talking about God's greatness. Don't ever apologize about that. And I was so thankful for that, that reminder that there are times that we need to help each other, that we need to give some application, that we need to give some practical advice, but there are times that we just need to proclaim the excellencies of our God and our Savior in song, in prayer, in word, in story. Have you ever thought about the fact that God's word is given to us mostly in story in in stories and narratives and tales that illustrate to us the greatness and the love of God tell the story tell it to your children tell it to your family tell it to your neighbors tell it to whoever will listen offer the sacrifice of praise and the fruit of your lips That's our responsibility because we are priests before God. We're also to act on behalf of men in relation to God. I think we still have that responsibility. The priests were supposed to be somewhat of a bridge, as I said, between God and man. What are you doing? What am I doing? 
to bridge that gap between God and sinners. It's so easy to be a Christian, to come to church, to live a good life, to strive to live a right... When I say easy, I just mean going through these motions. I know there's temptations, there's struggles, but sometimes we focus so much on just what I do, what I believe, what I think, what I'm going to practice... But do I take seriously the responsibility as a priest in Jesus' kingdom to try and bridge the gap between God and sinners? My family, my neighbors, my co-workers, my friends. What am I doing to help those who have ruined their relationship with God as I once have? But by the grace of God, I've been able to be washed. I've been able to be made clean by the blood of Christ. But what am I now doing to help them in their lost status to also learn about Jesus so that their relationship with God can be restored and can be what it ought to be? Remember, the priests were to help the ignorant and the wayward. They were supposed to be a source of knowledge, a source of comfort, a source of guidance. Are we those things? Are we helping to teach the ignorant? Not in a pompous, arrogant way, but whether it be in the church or people out in the world, when people have questions, can they come to us? When they have doubts, can they look to us for guidance? When they're going astray, can they count on us to bring them back? I realize that some of those things fall especially upon the shoulders of leaders, like elders and preachers and teachers. But in some sense, all of us can help with that. All of us are priests that should strive to help the ignorant and the wayward. So the question is, or the, the claim is, the comment is, you may not think of it very often. You probably didn't wake up this morning and think, well, I better get about my priestly duties. We don't think of ourselves as priests very often. Maybe we should. Because we are a kingdom of Christ and we are priests. A chosen nation. A holy people that are to be dedicated to God. So you, <coughs> if you are a member of the Lord's church, you are a priest. How well are you executing and fulfilling your duty and your responsibility of being a priest in the service of God. We have the greatest example of a priest in Jesus. We have the wonderful words that we can read in Hebrews and Second or in First Peter 2 and other places. But it's up to us to take seriously that charge and to help grow the kingdom by fulfilling our priestly role as believers. Well, in the study there this evening, I hope that that gives you some things to think about some things to contemplate and maybe uh, work on. I know it was kind of a, a, a shuddering thought to me to realize I don't think about my priestly work in it. And I don't mean that in some clerical way that many religions use, but we are priests, and we need to take that role very seriously and do whatever we can to serve God and His kingdom.